As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' 2-1 and start to the regular season. We focus in on Joel Embiid and his stretches of dominant post-play, the evolution of Ben Simmons, how Shake Milton and the bench mob have looked, and what in the heck went wrong in Cleveland. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash SixersBeat, where you can get a free one-year gift subscription with the purchase of a yearly subscription. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. You know, we we scheduled this podcast. They were 2-0, not the world's greatest competition, but 2-0 nonetheless. And then, I mean, and then Sunday night against the Cavs happened. The 3-0 Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, which I think they're pretty drastically improved, but I'm not buying 3-0. The Sixers should have had a chance Last night, even without Joel Embiid, but that was that. Michael changed. Carter Williams and Brett Brown went three and zero at right, one point. Right. That said, they look pretty good. I agree. That was I bet better. They looked better. We'll 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 go with there. I'm comfortable saying that. Anything more than that, we'll see. But that really did change the mood of the podcast, Rich. That really changed the mood. And if you want to read Rich's recap of a really shitty game, not a shitty recap, a shitty game, yeah. head on over to theathletic.com/sixersbeat. You can sign up. For a discount on a yearly subscription. I, I will say that the quality of the recap can fluctuate <laughs> with the quality of the game. When you give me nothing, and they gave me nothing, Ben Simmons, not good enough. Bench, not good enough. Corkmaz, uh, Milton, uh, Tony Bradley, terrible. Uh, Danny Green, terrible. Dwight Howard, too many fouls. Doc Rivers, no answers in that game. <laughs> I mean, honestly, all they had to do, they didn't even have to win that game to earn the generally positive podcast. If they played pretty well and Cleveland just shot the hell out of the ball, second night of back-to-back, Embiid's not playing. But, man, that was terrible. I mean, they just got their ass kicked. It was not a matter of, oh, Cleveland shot it really well, we shot it really poorly. 
it's one of those games that you're just going to struggle to win in the NBA. No, they were they were terrible. They did not execute their defensive scheme, and their transition passing was honestly it was like the worst I've ever seen in my life. Like they were they were like drunk when when it got that, in that was Tony Roten esque transition passing. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, and and look, some of that is Ben is a. I don't want to go t- too hard on him. He he can get a a little. He could get a lot too passive in transition. He needs to when when he is dribbling the ball in transition. And by the way, this happened a couple times in the first two games that they yeah. won. No, Doc praised his his the balance that he found against the Knicks, and I thought he was again too passive. Like he gets within three feet of the basket and passes so many times. And the one uh, against the um, Knicks, I think he had like. Dwight rolling and Dwight was like double covered and going for the offensive rebound. And he still passes it out. Um, defenders at some point start selling off cause they know he's not actually going to attempt to finish. Let me back off and cut off that passing lane. He, he needs to be more aggressive. I agree. I agree. And he's, I, I haven't looked, but it feels like he's been getting to the line like seven times a game, pretty much, man. He really could be getting to the line like 14 times a game. If, if he was just seeking out the contact, that he should, and I, I would even say there's like two types of passing this. There's the the very aggravating. I'm three feet away from the hoop. I'm jumping up to the basket. Oh, here's a pass at the at the last second. Those are those are pretty tough. I'll say that there are transition possessions where he gets the ball out in front. Sixers have you know like a three on three or something like that, and he's not putting any pressure on the rim yeah. to begin with. Like he's passing to Curry. He's passing to Green. He had one against the Knicks where. They they had a numbers advantage. He passed it ahead to Curry without putting like any pressure on the rim, and the Knicks got back. You know, Seth Curry is. I think we're beginning to learn that he's not the quickest trigger guy in right. the world. Yep. Um, you know, that's hopefully that that can change a little bit. But the uh, yeah, I, I mean, like, I, like, look, I think Ben's ability to kick the ball out for threes is great. I mean, that's just probably his best offensive skill and it's, it's a valuable one, but sometimes he falls in love with that to the point where there's no other option on the play. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's annoying for sure. I mean, and look that the Cleveland game, there was a million things that went wrong. He was not the only, the only problem, but you know, six turnovers from, uh, from Ben, Eight shots. I mean, you know, you know, he scored just fifteen points, but not nearly the impact you need from uh, from your other star player when Embiid is out. And you know, I actually looked at the the stats from last season. I, I, now I didn't separate it to the games where Embiid was completely gone, but they were above average with uh, with Embiid off the floor. And uh, you know, some of that was was like the Horford shake Milton unit at the end of the uh, season. By the way, when I say above average, like a tick above average, but that's like, that's enough to throw a parade in Philadelphia. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Not Greg Monroe levels bad. Yeah. Yeah. And and look, you know, I I wrote this in in the recap today. When you lose this poorly and it's one third of the season, sometimes that can warp your, uh, your perspective. You know, if this happens in, in March and, you know, the Sixers are generally playing pretty good basketball. Nobody cares quite as much. But that uh, that was a really, really crappy performance. On a night of some weird results in the NBA, that was, 
you know, that is unacceptable. And I, I, you know, we'll see what they do moving forward. But the the whole accountability talk, you know, oh, everybody's more accountable this year and all this stuff. Okay, here's where accountability starts. When you get blasted by a lottery team on the road, you know, that, and look, that might happen again, even if you're a good team. But but minimizing that those type of losses, real like saying, okay, that was really bad. How are we going to improve from it? And, and that's what we'll see because I mean, the Sixers are two and one. That's great, but that that sucked. That that Cleveland game was terrible. Yeah, it really was, and that was probably the best team that they've played so far. Which isn't saying eh, I guess Washington yeah. might be. It's it's close. Um, Washington's zero three. No, they stink. Well, they stink so far. I think before the season, you would have said those teams were. Certainly similar, and Washington probably had more upside. Probably a little better. Yeah, I agree. But, I mean, Cleveland was playing decent basketball. Like the Sixers, they weren't exactly playing a murderer's row of, of opponents, so you didn't really know what to make of it. Uh, but the Sixers, you have two wins, not great wins, and not against good competition, and then one just complete stinker. And it just, I mean, we were saying this before the pod, it very much felt like that was a game from last year in every every way. And it is, like you said, I don't want to make too much of it. It's one game early in the season. We used to say this with shooters all the time. Like if a shooter goes through a five-game slump in the middle of the season, nobody gives a shit. If they go through a five-game slump at the start of the season, oh my God, has he forgotten how to shoot? Like this was the annual Robert Covington debate. Uh, And teams can be like that too. And there certainly has been some good things that you have seen here from these first three games, mostly that seven-footer from uh, Cameroon. But that was, I mean, it was, it, it it sucked. It just sucked. Like, they didn't defend the pick and roll well. They turned the ball over a lot. They didn't get back in transition when they did turn the ball. It was just a disaster. It was a disaster. Well, and they had played a crappy team the night before. By the way, that crappy team beat the Bucks pretty good uh, the next night. So, again, w- weird night around the NBA. But, you know, they play a team like the Knicks who has negative spacing. I mean, so, some of the worst shooting I've ever seen in my life. But they took advantage of it. They packed yeah. the paint. They, they tagged the roller. They did a good job defensively. And the Knicks, you know, they're probably not quite as bad at shooting as they were that night. But the Sixers made them made them earn it. And that's kind of something I'm looking at moving forward here is that the Sixers in the pick and roll, they seem to be tagging the roller more. Yep. They seem to be more willing to give up threes. And if you look at some of the statistics from last year, the Sixers – their grand strategy of, okay, we're going to leave everything to Joel in the middle of the floor. It seemed like they were a little bit behind the curve last year with when you looked at Milwaukee and Toronto and Miami and Boston, those teams gave up a bunch of threes and it worked out um, in the long run. It seemed to me like the Sixers, I, I don't know exactly what they're doing. Honestly, from these first three games, I still don't know exactly what they're trying to do defensively. We haven't learned a ton. I mean, I, I am seeing more tagging. I'm seeing the occasional Joel Embiid gets up more in pick and roll. But then you have the, the Cleveland game where, you know, you have Dwight Howard, who theoretically should be able to execute the same scheme as Joel Embiid. And by the way, in the first two games, he sure did execute the scheme the same as Joel Embiid. Going into the Cleveland game, the Sixers, I mean, again, it's two games, but teams were shooting, I think, the lowest percentage at the rim against the Sixers. They were shooting like 40%. And that was because Embiid and Dwight Howard were awesome contesting shots. And they had a little more help in the paint. Well, they didn't do it against Cleveland's little guards. No. And 
you know, hey, good for Cleveland. You know, those little guards. I was, I was worried about them last year. I remember the uh, what was that? It was the game in November where Ben Simmons might have had like thirty points in the first half. He made a three. I mean, Cleveland with John Beeline, they did not look like things were going in the right direction. And hey, they you know, maybe they they have turned things around a little bit here, but that was just an unacceptable effort. And after the game, you have Ben Simmons saying, ah, we need to mix things up and the pick and roll, all of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I mean you do. And, you know, I think honestly, offensively or for the first three games is more, more of a worry, but they, uh, I don't really know how many other ways we can just say they sucked Yeah, they sucked. in that game. It is the, the night. The night shift was too, too early saying that stuff. They were terrible in that game. I don't know. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, and this, and look, we're gonna. I'm gonna say this probably six thousand times here in the next few podcasts. It, it well, not this exactly because it will be more in three games in the next podcast. But it is early. Uh, there's we're only three games in. It is funny looking at some of the uh, overall statistics though. Twenty first in pace, eighteenth in three point attempt rate. Uh, where are they? Twenty third in offense, ninth, ninth in defense, and I think they are twenty second in turnovers. And you start looking at some of those, and a lot of those sort of areas look. Vaguely uh, similar to what they had been in the previous year. Um, it is going to be more than just change a coach, change a scheme. Uh, we will see where that goes. I still feel, and I mean, you brought up Seth Curry, and I think that's something we wrote about at the time. It feels much more like the Sixers have two third guards than they do have a, a legit starting guard alongside Ben Simmons. We'll see if Shake Milton can grow into that, but it still sort of feels like they have two kind of six-man type guards in Curry. And, and look, Curry's been fine like he's averaging what like 12 points shooting 43 percent from three he's been sort of what you expect but i think if you're expecting him to ramp up into that you know high usage pick and roll creator or real you know real threat i mean he's had some moments coming off of screens and running off ball but he's not going to turn into jj reddick like you said the, the trigger is just not quick enough for him to really do that at his size they'll be good i think they're an improved team over last year i still feel like they are a piece or two away from really being a consistent top tier team. Uh, And we don't need to get into what those pieces might be because we spent way too much time on a last podcast doing that, but it doesn't feel like the overall calculus of this team has completely changed. Did you see Harden though on Saturday night? I don't know what days of the week it is after Christmas. Did you see that? Fresh off of quarantine and strip club visits. And he's still amazing. That's why, like, like trying to figure. Oh, we're gonna get in Harden again. That's why trying to figure out his aging curve is so tough. Because like, he could be like barely in shape, having barely played basketball, coming off of quarantine, and just drop forty four and whatever it was. It's just incredible skill level. And, and by the time this podcast comes out, 
they'll have played Denver. Maybe he stinks against them, and that happens. But I, for the first game with just a ragtag roster, I mean, Christian Wood is pretty good. What what happened with Christian Wood and the Sixers, by the way? Well, I mean, this was his first stop. Yeah. He, and he, he just, wasn't, and, and he wasn't, just wor- he wasn't, his work how many other teams bad. let him go? Yeah. Oh, his oh, work ethic is terrible. Yeah, no, I mean, look, he was, and look, I've, I've, I've talked to people in the wood camp who said, look, he, he was not ready to be this player when he was in Philly, not from a maturity standpoint, not from a skill development standpoint. He was a big kid with good athleticism who didn't have the drive at that point to reach his potential. And he was, what was he like a 10 day or something? With the Sixers, I think wasn't he um, wasn't he waived so they could sign Elton Brand or something like that? Yes, I forget. Yes, but he was. There was I some weird right, trade right after there. Christmas, I believe. Yep. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the big fella uh, because he was at least one of these sources of optimism through the first two games. Twenty-eight points, twelve rebounds, two assists, a block, shooting fifty-four percent from the field, getting the line eight times per night, and only two turns per game. You know, it was the first game. He had a lot of his success in the fourth quarter with a mostly bench unit. What was it? I think it was Milton, Curry, Korkmaz, and Scott. Yeah, so uh, Curry being the only starter. And then the second game, it was really a starting lineup that dominated, and he had a lot of success there with them. So pretty much every chance he's gotten, he's, he's talked about spacing and how that's helped him, how it makes his life easier. I guess, what have you seen from a... From from the big guy and whether or not he can carry through with this through the rest of the season, he still had his bad possessions against post doubles, where he's you know he's taking two dribbles out and he's like looking to to make a nine one one pass to somebody, but he does have more space. I think that is that's abundantly clear. Like you said, they, uh, I mean, my God, they ran that post up play eight times in a row against Washington. And it was the reason they won the game because they were, they were dead in the water. And I think it's, a, it's also a good reminder that when you have a game like we saw against Cleveland, maybe things turn out differently. If you can just toss the ball yeah. into him and let him roast, by the way, Andre Drummond. I mean, Andre Drummond is either getting yeah. embarrassed by Joel Embiid at an insane amount, or he's, you know, I, I think I remember a game in February, where Embiid hurt his his shoulder last year or March, one of those in Cleveland, yeah. And then Andre Drummond kills you. You know, he's a pretty good player. I mean, he's a he's a pretty good player anyway. But uh, yeah, I think like the the has his post passing gotten a lot better? Not necessarily. I would I say don't... mostly his reads have gotten easier. If I had to, yeah. Like I, that's sort of like how I feel about Tobias. They keep talking about we've got to get Tobias back to making quick decisions. To me, that means simplify the game for Tobias. Limit the number of decisions he has to make. I think some of that's with Joel, too. Like, when you have more space, you have, the defense has to commit more, which makes your passes out a little bit easier and more obvious. And uh, I think he's taken advantage of that. Yeah, and he's made a couple reads that haven't resulted in anything. Like, I think a lot of times, I mean, they still have Ben at the dunker, which, by the way, for everybody who uh, who is complaining about that, why don't they have four guys around the three-point line? Nobody Doc covers them says, out there. Doc says the same thing as yeah. Brett, that you need three guys. Like, Doc said you need Mike Scott there if, if he is the nominal five. Like, if you space four guys around the arc, it's it's fairly easy to cover. So, but, but a couple times you've had Ben at the dunker, 
Joe gets doubled by Ben's guy, and then the corner guy comes to to jostle with Ben. And I will say, like, Joe's passes have not been perfect, but he has made the read to throw it over the top to the the corner player. And that's uh, that's been okay. I, I, some of it is I don't think Joe's teammates are making great reads out of the slight advantages they are giving him, whether that's drive it right away. Dan- Danny Green has this weird thing where he pump fakes like twice – then the guy is on him, and he'll still shoot it anyway. <laughs> I think we're gonna have some some times where Danny Green is pretty frustrating uh, this season. You you said it in your prediction in your prediction in the predictions post. Danny Green is he does remind me of Covington a tad, and that they, you know there's gonna be some blow buys on the defensive end. There's gonna be some weird shots he puts up, but even though he is. Ultimately, I think you're going to look down at his advanced metrics and things like that, and they're going to they're they're going to end up being pretty good. Um, yeah, I just thought you know he he had two different types of centers in those games. He had he had Thomas Bryant, who's you know he's a little thicker, but he's undersized for sure. And then he had Mitchell Robinson, great shot blocker, and Nerlens, who uh, he has a lot of uh, lbs on, and he just he smoked him on the on the offensive glass. So. You know, it's probably a little too early to read too much into Joel. Besides saying he had pretty favorable matchups, and he did the did the Joel thing against him, where he uh, threw his body in him and drew fouls. The uh, the one thing I will say moving forward, and this is not just Joel, this is Dwight too. We we are seeing that in the Sixers' regular offense, he is catching the ball at the free throw line a lot more. Um, you know, you know, and that's not that's not the post ups that we're seeing at the end of possessions, but. You, you do see him, I feel like, posting up at the – or not posting, facing up at the free throw line a lot more. And the Sixers have had some trouble getting him the ball there. Teams are kind of overplaying it. But that's that's something to watch for moving forward. They are they are using him a little bit differently than I have seen in past years. Yeah. No, I mean, he's – it's it's – he has been really good. Um, like you said, it's not – so much that he has gotten a lot better at reading double teams. But it was funny. Like, he made that one pass to Ferk uh, in the opener. And it wasn't even really a good pass. Like, no, Ferk had it to was step not to the side. He had to, like, take time to recover it. And, and, he had and, to catch and, it at his feet. Yeah. yeah. And even with that, they still stopped doubling him at that point and let him go one-on-one. It was like, make him beat you like that more. I, I didn't get their strategy at all. No. Uh, but he has... It, it is... I mean, he, he's Joel Embiid. He's really good at basketball. I don't, like, we don't really have to, um, you know, his, his post-up numbers so far, uh, 1.125 points per possession, shooting 60% out of post-ups, still turning the ball over one out of every five possessions, but getting the free throw line more often than that. He's been, he's been good. Has not, this is weird. I just looked at, Sinner does not have a logged point for him in seven pick and roll possessions, which kind of tracks with what we've always known. It's worse than what we would have expected, but he's never been a real good pick and roll role man. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. I mean, it, he's been he's been dominant at times. Um, the, they're running a few more for him too. You know, yeah, oh, I, I for think... sure, for sure. They've they've certainly made an effort to involve him more in that. And and, and I mean, Doc stuck true to his word in, in running more Embiid Simmons uh, snug pick and rolls, which don't. I mean, the one the one in the first game they literally ran into each other coming off of the the screen. Um, they have not always looked natural in that regard, and I don't think it's ever going to look entirely natural when you have a bad rolling big and a non shooting ball handler. But 
they're going to try. They're going to try. They, they were lucky that that play came in the middle of just the Sixers executing perfectly. Not that play, but just whatever offense they were running at the end of that game. That was amazing that they ran yeah. like directly parallel with each other, eventually running into each other. It was tough. By the way, Ben, uh, I, ben pick and rolls right now. 25% of his possessions, which it's never been that high. And again, we're talking three games. We're talking 13 possessions finished. 0.538 points per possession. Not a. Is that with the passes or no? No, that is as a scorer off the pick and roll. If you add in the passes, it is up to 0.565. All right, never mind. <laughs> Not good. The, the one thing I will say, um, I hate snug pick and roll. Yeah, it's it's terrible. It's it's not. It is a concession of, because your ball handler can't shoot. Yeah, but it's making it worse too because when you have Ben Simmons, I'll contrast it with my favorite play, twelve. Which one do I like better? Do I like the one where Ben Simmons is screening with the guard at the three point line who could shoot and is running straight downhill at the basket, or do I like the slow one with Embiid where he's kind of slowly moving far away from the basket where he can't shoot? I wonder which one is going to work out better. Yep. C- come on. I, I mean, I and prop, props to Doc for for keeping twelve in the playbook. Uh, you asked about him. You asked him about it the other night, uh, and 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 certainly he learned from some of the stuff that Brett had in his 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 toolbox. And I mean, Curry's looked real good in that regard. Like they are very scared of leaving Curry, and it's gotten Ben a couple of open drives. But yeah, for sure, for sure, the snug yeah. has not worked out. They have two combos who can run twelve well. They have they have Ben and Curry, and then they have Shake and Furk running well. Even though he's been terrible the last couple of yeah. nights, but still, I mean that play is very good at producing open shots. Yeah, I mean you can tell you know Doc has some ATOs where he's trying to get Ben and Joel in uh, in pick and roll, and it's you know it, like look, it's early, but it, it just doesn't seem like we're seeing a lot of difference from Ben. No. Has no. he has he added a lot to his game? I mean, I mean, was it realistic to think he would add a lot to his game in the one month off season? Not really. Um, but it was realistic that he would add a lot to his game in the um, what four years since he's been drafted. Absolutely. And, and look again. I feel like I feel like Ben's defense has turned into. It's the same thing as Tobias being a good guy. Like you have to bring it up every time you talk about him. No, and and Ben not, had let's not bring it up. Ben had two really good defensive games, and then he had the Cavs game. So I give him credit for the the progress on defense a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. He's he he needs to improve more. And look, he his free throw shooting, the past like those I think it goes up like four percent a year, which is meaningful. Um, you'd like to see the foul drawing increase with that, but outside of that, like he. His flaws have not been corrected, and it it is just it's it's like when you're out there watching Javale McGee shoot a three, it is it's frustrating for sure, for sure. <laughs> that that was when you knew it wasn't going their way. By the way, yeah. I mean, first Larry Nance is is looking like you know Porzingis or somebody out there, but then uh, then Javale gets one to go, and uh, yeah, what was it their night? You know, yeah, and it's just, it's with Ben, I, I just wonder if this is his ceiling as an offensive player. Hey, he can, he can make third team all NBA probably with this. I'm, I'm not sure he'll make it every year. You know, I, I think there was some level of like guards were, were a lot of them were hurt last season and, you know, it was a shallower pool to, to pick from, but I, I don't see him rising 
any higher than that. You know, people will. This is what always bothers me when it's like, and I'm going to pick on her because it's, you know, whether it's like Doris Burke or like Stan Van Gundy or somebody like that, these national announcers will come in for a game. Ben will play well and they'll say, I can't believe people complain about this guy at all. I mean, look at this. Look at this effort he gives on every night. You don't watch the, the 25 bad games that he gives where it's just because he hasn't worked on or not that he hasn't worked on it where he hasn't improved on his flaws that were there three years ago. I, I, and by the way, that's going to happen in a couple weeks, I'm sure. Maybe, you know what, when they play Boston on, on TNT, the announcers say, I can't believe people complain about Ben Simmons after the game. And it's like, I think there's an acknowledgement that he is a very good player. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But it is frustrating that he has not improved to level. And not to say that uh, that Ben Simmons with – you know, a three-pointer and getting to the line a lot more is going to make the Sixers' effort in Cleveland a win. No, right. But it it might have helped a little bit, and it, it's just you know you know the drive and kick game with with eight total shots at the end of the night when when your team is just dying for you uh, to lead them. It's yeah, it wasn't a good performance. But uh, again, one game in. One game in three, there's going to be a lot more. But, uh, yeah, his – I will say, like, even in the wins, his offensive approach has not yeah. really impressed me as, like, oh, they're doing something drastically different. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, all right, let's finish this off, keep this a relatively short podcast with, uh, you know, a couple thoughts. I guess, I mean, Shake Milton is the other real focal point because of the run he was on and and the way he looked earlier in the season. Quick thoughts on Shake. Obviously did not have a good game. Not that anybody really did have a good game against the Cavs, but I think he had, what, like six points against the Cavs. Had been playing real well before that. But uh, what, what what we're seeing out of Shake Milton. Love it. Love it. Didn't, pl- didn't play well against Cleveland, but even, even against Cleveland when he did not shoot the ball that well, he is such a patient ball handler and just seems to understand where the right pass is, where the right drive is. Let's be honest. He is kind of the bizarro Ben Simmons in that he, uh, when there is an opportunity to attack and draw fouls, despite being, I don't know, 5% as athletic as Ben Simmons, he's got that goofy ball handling game and and ability to draw contact, which is awesome. Um, Yeah, I love what what I've seen from Shake. And by the way, I love what I've seen from him on, on the defensive end too. He's been much better, yep. You know, he, look, and we we I wrote about that in detail after the the Washington game because he was guarding Bradley Beal at the end of that one, which was, you know, it would have seemed insane a year ago. Oh my God, he's guarding Bradley Beal in crunch time. And to be fair, it still seems a little insane now. Like it's not a, it's not like he shut him down completely. Beal had a big game, but I I didn't look back at the uh, the matchup numbers. Shake stopped him a couple times on key possessions. He stopped Westbrook a couple times. He stopped. Yeah, I feel like we've seen this about three or four times already during the season. A guard, the other team's best guard, will isolate against Shake at the end of the first quarter because Shake is guarding them. And Shake has stopped them every time. Colin Sexton, it happened to Colin Sexton, who's playing fantastic right now. He didn't get a good shot against Shake. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, as far as positives from the from the beginning of the season, even though – Really, only the the first game against Washington was the major explosion yep. 
for uh for Shake, I love the way he's playing. Um he's he's been great and I feel I know the 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 night shift they they struggled the last couple of games, but it's it's not because I've lost uh faith in Shake. On or off ball, he's going to work well. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's always the key is that he can fill sort of both of those roles. It is it will be interesting to watch that night shift all season long because they had that incredible performance opening night uh, and how, you know, what kind of an appetite will Doc have for, and I, like I wrote about this recently, he will have a very big appetite. Uh, one of his most used lineups are always that all bench unit. Uh, go back even when they have a good bench, bad bench, it almost doesn't matter. He's going to stick with that lineup. And this is a, a group where that first night they looked tremendous, led by Shake, also with Maxi. Uh, and then since then, they have certainly struggled. Um, you know, the other night against the Cavs, that became a little tougher because you had to deal with Tony Bradley. And then the second half, you experimented some with some small ball fives. So you didn't have your full assortment of players. But there will be nights where, like, you need Furkan to get better, um, to be more like game one Furkan than he has been since. You need, uh, and you need to be able to suffer through or survive through the off nights from shake or when Tyrese Maxey looks like a rookie, uh, which will happen throughout the course of the season. And it is, or when Mike Scott just inexplicably forgets how to shoot for a month and a half, which hasn't will happened happen. Yet. It hasn't happened yet, but it will. Um, I, lo- I love whenever he's asked about playing with doc. He's like, man, I was asked the first time I played with doc. I got to be better this time. And he just <laughs> says like the same thing every time. It's pretty funny. Um, that could be, that could be a, a feature story. What, what did Mike Scott do to piss off doc Rivers <laughs> at, at the level? Because doc has kind of brought it up too. like, yeah, he didn't do what I asked him or, or whatever. It's like, I'm, I'm thinking like he's a backup power forward. Like yeah, what, what, what did you ask of him? I, um, you know, <laughs> but I like, I, I'll, I'll be real interested to see how that, that unit performs throughout the season because it will end up, you'll have the starting lineup. You'll probably have, a couple of lineups with Joel and shooters, and that might be your third or fourth most used lineup. And I have my reservations on whether or not they are deserving of those minutes, but that is how Doc prefers to stagger his uh, his lineups. Gone are the days of heavy, heavy staggering of Embiid and Simmons, which is, um, I'm not sure it's something I agree with. You know, I think it is, you know, clearly you want, it's so interesting, right? Because the first year that Simmons and Embiid were together, they were completely dominant. Like whenever they were on the court, the Sixers kicked the shit out of people. And part of that is because I think they were new and teams didn't really know how to take advantage of their weaknesses. And part of that was because the team around them made a hell of a lot more sense. So I think the Sixers are hoping that, you know, with the uh, more shooters around them, that Embiid and Simmons on the court, they can take advantage of their strengths and minimize their weaknesses more like 2017-18 than they did last year. But it is still like their games still don't complement each other perfectly. And you saw that in the first game when Embiid went off with the more shoot with more spacing around him. And you've seen that certainly at times throughout the, uh, the seasons now with Simmons, when Embiid's not on the court, you know, January and February last year, the run in 27, 18, 18 with stars who don't complement each other that well. Like, do you really want to maximize their time together? Or do you want to give them lineups where they can each go to work? It will be, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see this play out. I really am. What have you made about the uh, what have you made of the doc experience so far? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. 
Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Don- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. I mean, I would mostly say that a lot of the weaknesses look like weaknesses we had seen in the past. And a lot of the play designs, quite frankly, like we made a huge deal about, oh, how much how much pick and roll is he going to run? And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he's run some more pick and roll. Hasn't really, outside of that second unit in the first game, outside of that stretch, it hasn't really worked out all that well. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would guess they're not a, a, a efficient pick and roll team right now. Uh, but I mean, the way you play Embiid, like they're still posting him up. Uh, the way you get Simmons going is still bring that shooter, this case Curry, up there to make the defense pay for uh sagging off of him. It's still it it still comes down to the strengths and weaknesses of your stars and the supporting cast. It's we'll see. It is interesting how cagey he is on the. Oh, are you gonna rest Embiid? Like it's a lot more cagey with that information. Yeah, yeah, he was cagey about it all weekend, and then. They said Embiid had an injury, which was... Uh... You have to at this point, uh, like you mentioned on Twitter the other day, like you can't, uh, when you're on the road, you have to have a reason. Uh, so that sounds like a good enough reason for them to give up. Here, they are 17th in pick and roll efficiency at 0.887 points per possession. The overall half court efficiency is 0.938. So the pick and roll has been a below efficiency play for the Sixers. So far, yeah, and uh, yeah, and to go back to the the caginess and, and resting. I mean, they should have rested and, and beat in last yeah. night's game. That's a good. That's a good game yeah. to rest them. So the, no, no problem with that. I just if they are, you know, kind of fudging the truth there. I uh, I just hate the whole charade that the NBA has to. Uh, For sure, that has to make the uh, that he puts them through. Yeah, I, I would say teams you know, rest stars because they think it will help the team. If the teams play at an optimal level, that helps the league. And I get like there are high profile national TV games. You don't want them rested, but like this is a freaking game in you know, game three in the first week against the Cavs. Like, cool. calm down. You should so, be able to so rest the, your guy. Yeah. And also the idea, like, I, I kind of understand, okay, don't rest the player on the road because you know, if it's especially if it's a team in the other conference that fan will only get to see that player one time. Why are we enacting that rule this year? There's yeah. nobody on the road. Right, there's right. there's no, there's nobody on the stands except media and most of these places, a couple of places have fans, which is another a whole not, a whole other subject. Don't worry, um, COVID's under control. The what what was I thinking of? Oh, oh yeah, I, it, I would say that the early 
feel I have on Doc is it's kind of like we talked about before. Not a miracle worker. He's right. he's a basketball coach. Right. I do appreciate that we have not, you know, like after last night's game, we didn't hear, oh, man, like, you know, I can't believe how poorly coached this team was. I will say after the first night when they they ran that elbow set at the end of the, the game, oh, this is what a real coach looks like now. Get out of here, man. <laughs> Brett ran good out of timeout plays. He ran elbow stuff for Joe. Get out of here. Like, nice job by Doc to stick with that, but... A lot of coaches have similar strengths and weaknesses tactically. Like, it's it's not insane. Um, I was on I was on the radio after game one. And they were like, "Man, out of timeout plays were so much crisper." I'm like, "That was actually like you you could there were some stuff you could complain about with the previous coaching administration. They were always in the top ten in the ATOs, always." Yeah. So, a lot of that people was, seeing what they want to see for sure, for sure. You know, and we'll see. Doc is trying to implement this offense, and to be fair to him, there are going to be uh, some growing pains. But early on, you know, even with the defense, you have Simmons complaining last night. We need to mix up our pick and roll coverages, and we have seen a little bit of that early in the season. But it it did feel like the overall game was, oh, you know, Darius Garland's making floaters over you. What's uh, what's the uh, other strategy? And they they will have time. The the one thing I do like about Doc is you could tell he uh he has a five year contract. You know he's willing to try stuff. He's not uh he's not freaking out after an absolute dog poo performance. Um, so I, I do kind of like the vibe he is giving off of. Of oh, good vibes, we're a good vibes podcast. Yeah, I, I don't want to say that. I didn't want to say it that way. I just think he's <laughs> he's calm and he. <laughs> He understands. Okay, this is going to be a long-term thing. Not a, not. Oh my God, this was the greatest training camp practice that nobody got to see ever. We're gonna be so good, type of vibes. Uh, all right. Yeah. No. I mean, it is. It is like you said. He he is a basketball coach. At the end of the day, there's only so much of an imprint he can make. Um, I, I will say to your point. I think the pick and roll defense has been probably the biggest deviation. And even that's not completely overhauled. Like they're just, whereas, you know, Brett and his staff and, and, and the analytics staff were very against helping off of shooters on a perimeter. They tagged. And they, and they were wrong about that. And they like, I, I think in general, if you look at, I think that needs to be a much more of a KYP type of situation. I think they're a little too beholden to it. Like there are probably teams where you, you, you want to play that style for sure. But I think they needed to be a little more adjustable in that regard. Especially not only with the opponent, but also with your personnel. Um, I I just want to see more help. I, I like I like a frenetic style of forcing turnovers and just high value possessions for each team. Quite frankly, you know, even if you're Toronto and you're in complete scramble mode, I think that throws an offense off. Even really good offensive players, if you have guys flying by you and you end up getting an open shot, but but you have a guy running fifty miles an hour at you to get you off the three point line. To me, I, I like that style better, and it also seals off the rim. Like the idea of okay, you have Embiid and you have Dwight Howard, you have these two rim protectors. That's great. Why don't we give them even more help so yeah. nobody gets a shot at the rim? And, and maybe there will be nights when teams bomb threes over your head, and that's that's part of the uh, the difficulty of NBA defense. But it yeah, works. I will say with the with the pick and roll so far, have seen a little more of a deviation. Let's let's do it even more. Like let's let's experiment, and and if I'm wrong, I'll say it. But like, let's let's help more. Let's tag more and and see uh, see a little more variety. It works better when you have long, rangy 
quick decision-making defenders, um, Toronto and, and Boston sort of being like two archetypes for that. Sixers haven't really, that hasn't defined the Sixers here over the last few years. They were certainly a lot more aggressive earlier in Brett's tenure uh, during sort of like the hinky years when you also had more athletic big men too, though. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I I agree. If it, all things being equal, I do like a little bit of a uh, hectic recovering style of defense, but I understood mathematically why they did it. And certainly in terms of keeping Embiid, like even in this scheme, like you're not going to bring Embiid up to the ball level on these screens. Like, that's not what you're going to do with the big men free, very free, often. Free throw line, though. Yeah. Let's, let's get him up a little higher. Right. One or two steps beyond where he was. Yeah. Um, last question for you. What, what have you made of Maxi so far? I mean, I think he's been actually really good, all things considered. Um, it is just so nice to have a player who can get to his spots uh, and who can... Here's what I'll say. He's, he manipulates the defense much more than I would have thought based off of what he did in college. Uh, he has, in terms of changing speed, in terms of getting defenders to bite, um, I think his vision's been a little better than I was expecting. He's made a couple of real nice cross-court skip passes. He has just body control around the rim that we just haven't seen in so long, which doesn't mean that he's elite in that regard. It just means the Sixers have, have not had anyone like that in a while. You know, I think he's going to have his nights where the shot's going to become an issue. You know, I think he's going to have his nights where you just need a little more size, even though, what is he wingspan wise? Like, it, I think he's got like a six five, six six wingspan, a good wingspan, not a great wingspan. But I think at times you're going to want maybe a little more size out there. I think his defense has been fine. Um, you know, I think it was interesting in the second game against the Knicks that they went with Thibel in the second half. It is he who's looked dreadful in pretty much every game. Yeah. And look, he's young enough. He's unique enough. You want him part of your 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 team, so you got to keep him in the rotation somewhat. But I do wonder if maybe flip flopping them from time to time is going to hurt Maxi, who at r- right now might just be a more valuable prospect. It will be interesting how they handle that. But I I think he's been good. I think he's been good for a, a day one contributor. I think he's given me more than I've expected for sure. The passing has definitely stood out. He had the one cross-court laser to Mike Scott out of pick and roll in the first yep. game. And I was like, that actually got me excited. I was yeah. like, that is, yeah. that is really nice. Um, and, and especially for somebody his size, you know, he's only 6'3", like you, you said, okay wingspan, decent strength. But that's not always the easiest pass for a 6'3 guy to make. Yep. That's the that's the Ben Simmons-LeBron pass, yep. and that's where their value comes into play by just being massive, uh, massive guys. Um God, can he, you imagine yeah. if, if Ben could ever come off of a pick and roll and people would defend him? Like, that pass would be there all day. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I could imagine it, that. It goes, but... it goes back to uh, the lack of development. Like, it's not just like it would open up so much for him as a passer. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, he'd be able to piece the uh, the rest of his game together. Maxi against the Knicks, too, had a couple of really nice he, – he was attacking closeouts, and he made a couple really nice passes to Dwight that – one of those was difficult. One of them, he kind of threw in between two guys' heads, and he got right to Dwight for for a bucket. I'm uh, obviously not expecting a lot from him as a shooter right now. He uh, takes the corner three against the Cavs, airballs it. Of course, Allah says, uh, nice pass right away. <laughs> nice nice deadpan delivery from him as, <laughs> yeah. uh, as Mike Scott lays the ball in. He uh, and you, I, There was another attempt, I think it was against the Knicks, where – you are seeing the 
the trend that Sam Vecini pointed out around draft time where with the low release, he's taken some deep ones. Um, he has to take like an extra step back, at least in his opinion, to get that shot off away from a defender. That's something they're going to have to work out with. But yeah, I just, I love his, uh, I love his juice, man. He's, he's got, he's got that off the, off the bounce playmaking and can, can get to the basket. He, uh, he needs to play. I, yeah. I, I think not only for his development and, you know, him becoming what he eventually will be as a basketball player, but the Sixers, this, this team could use him right now because you have these guys like Seth Curry and Danny Green who, you know, they're good shooters, but they're, they're more third guards, like you said. They're more fill in pieces. And, and Maxi has the, the lead guard, at least skill set. He's, he's got the yeah. skill set. He's got that toolkit. And, uh, and I'd like to see it. I, I mean, honestly, that that first game, the the second unit, when him and Shake had it going in the second quarter, that was probably the most fun we've had watching the team so far this season. Again, early days, and and when we talk about Doc and the scheme and making an imprint, like that felt more like Doc Rivers Clippers basketball than what the starting unit line typically does. Yeah, that's sure. that's something that's we're gonna have to look at moving forward. Obviously, the the bench had not played as as well the next couple of games, but. The the Milton Maxi Scott Cork Dwight unit the, the plays that Doc is running with these pick and rolls it does seem like it is much more yeah. they can make it sing a little bit with the ball movement and the ball handling that the uh, at least the three guards in that unit have and and Dwight's ability to catch lobs too so yep. all right I think that's where we that- are is probably a good enough place to cut it off. They've got a good one coming up here against the Raptors on Tuesday. Then a the couple 0-2 Raptors. Yeah, and then you got the Magic uh, coming up after that. And then a couple of the 3-0 and Magic. And early Bolts. days in the NBA can be fun. Uh, and then you've got the couple of really winnable games, Hornets, two against the Hornets, Wizards, uh, before going up to uh, Brooklyn to take on what looks like a really good Brooklyn team. That will stress the Sixers' defense out. <laughs> to the max. But uh, thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.